Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, I am recording for Contrarian's Corner for the Summer of Winona finale. All righty, I was about to say, one last time, welcome to the Summer of Winona and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my uh, podcasting co-host, Julio. Julio, how are you doing on this fateful Wednesday evening? Well, I was afraid I wasn't going to fit in my tux. But thankfully, just I, I just had to squeeze in a little bit. But yeah, I'm I'm ready for the for the festivities, the end of the road. We have finally arrived at the finale, which we have been discussing in uh, the previous weeks and previous episodes. How exactly we were going to tackle this, and I think we came to uh, somewhat of a compromise. As the idea, of course, from the beginning, the get go was that we would, of course, finish with Stranger Things, as it is the most recent notable Winona undertaking. Uh, but we also got to sandwich in a couple of uh, things that I suggested, and we'll get to that in real talk uh, for this respective episode. Going to be approaching things a little bit differently here. And then, of course, uh, all culminating in the Summer of Winona awards ceremony known as the Winonis. We had the Travoltis and now the Winonis, the second individual to be entered into the hollowed halls of <laughs> Contrarian's award fame. I really hope she hears about this someday. It doesn't have to be, you know, 2020. I understand there are more important things going on. But someday the world will come back to a semblance of normality. And uh, Winona Ryder will find out. We'll find all these hashtags. Summer of Winona. What? And (laughs) she'll have a blast. And then, yeah. And then she'll learn that Ethan Embry and Ronda Rousey had their own respective awards, but not their entire, this an entire (laughs) award show dedicated to them. Only her and John Travolta. <laughs> I read so, an interview. Uh, I read an interview where uh, she was saying it's from maybe when the Iceman was coming out a few years ago. But uh, where she, she was saying that she she doesn't have a social media presence. It's just beyond her. She can't get into that kind of thing. So yeah, smart I, we're we're. I mean, it's a long shot, but who knows? Maybe she got bored during quarantine, and now she she has a Twitter account that nobody knows about. Yeah, I don't know why you would want social media if you're at that level of notoriety. It's It seems kind of counterintuitive. It's like fucking Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't have a Twitter account. <laughs> that uh, we know it, of. It just seems like with the way everything's structured now, there eventually becomes no need for it. Like Brad Pitt. Does, yeah, Brad Pitt and Daniel Day-Lewis, to your point, I'm sure they have burners that they can get on and argue with people about like football <laughs> or, you know, uh, 
which Zeppelin albums the best, but they're not they they don't have a a need for a blue check mark in their life. I think the problem is that sometimes they get forced to do it. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, Brad Pitt, Daniel Day Lewis. I, I would like to think even without writer, nobody's gonna tell them, "Hey, you have to do this." But uh, I think uh, I don't know. There has to be like a mid level uh, actor or actress that's kind of a on a popular show and doesn't have enough clout to say no yet. And the producers at the studio are like, nope, you have to be on social media because you have to promote the show. I'd be curious if someone like Seth Rogen really wanted to have a Twitter account. But Judd <laughs> Apatow is like, no, <laughs> you want these regular paychecks? You get a Twitter account and you tweet about football or whatever, or hockey, I guess, because he's Canadian. But the social media discourse, we could literally be here for the remainder of the summer, but we got to take it out in style here with discussing Miss Winona Ryder. Well, our journey began three months ago in May with Mr. Deeds, and now we conclude uh, by tackling uh, the aforementioned Stranger Things and reflecting on the summer of Winona. If uh, this is your first time tuning into The Contrarians, you picked <laughs> a confusing episode to turn into for the first one. Uh, Hello, Stranger I, Things fans. Yes. If you're here for like a lot of really in-depth Stranger Things talk, you're you're to the wrong place. We're mainly going to focus on Winona Ryder's contribution to it. Uh, if you want to get a little bit better feel of how we do this thing, uh, just take it on back to our last episode with Heather's, one of our... Uh, Maybe my favorite episode we did in the summer of Winona. Then again, if you if the Heather's episode is the first episode of our show that you listen to, you might think that real talk gets really deep all the time, and that's not the case. <laughs> that is not. Uh, I'm trying to think of the most balanced summer of Winona movie we've done. Maybe Homefront, because we acknowledge how dumb it all is. And uh, no, I think The Crucible might be the best uh, to give your give someone a balanced take of what uh, we really are all about here on the Contrarians. What I tell everybody is pick a movie that you are familiar with, and that will probably be easier. Uh, so, in a way, you know, if Stranger Things is, is your gateway into the Winona world, you know what? That's fine. It'll work itself out. <laughs> the main thing the main thing is that you, you have to know the rules of the game, uh, which I'm sure Alex is about to set for us right now. Indeed I am. The rules of the contrarians, the entire gimmick that we have here. If this is your first time listening, that was my roundabout way of saying welcome and thank you for listening to uh, this podcast. If you're a returning listener, as always, we greatly appreciate it. Give us a moment here while we explain our gimmick to uh, the first timers. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, uh, also known as Certified Fresh. Make a case for maybe why it shouldn't be. And on the other side of the coin, find a movie that is typically 30% and below the nasty green splotch known as Rotten, and discuss its positive merit. Uh, that all takes place in the first portion of the podcast entitled Contrarian's Corner. If you want to know how we really feel about the topic at hand, stick around for the second portion of the podcast, the aptly titled Real Talk. Now, Stranger Things is a TV show, which you usually don't do. <laughs> no. And it's a TV show that's ran for three seasons. And it was... Uh, do you know it takes place in the 80s? You know... I wasn't sure because, like we've discussed in several episodes, my 80s are never necessarily, are not usually necessarily your 80s since I grew up in Peru and you grew up in America. So I wasn't sure. It, it, it looked like it could have been. You know what? It doesn't take place in the 80s. It takes place in an 80s movie. And that yeah. I recognize. 
the other thing that we're doing with Stranger Things that's not uh, that's kind of like a little weird is that while I had the time to watch all three seasons because up till very recently I had all the time in the world <laughs> thanks to this pandemic, uh, Alex never stopped working, which means that he he had very limited time. So we agreed on doing something a little fun. Because at first we we're like, ah, maybe you'll watch the first three episodes of the first season and we can talk about that. But you know what? It's it's a, the finale of the summer Winona. Let's let's go a little out there. So Alex Balls watch <laughs> So Alex watched the first episode of each season. Uh, and uh between his knowledge and my knowledge, we're going to discuss uh, this. Uh, do you have the, the numbers there, Alex? I know it's in the 90s, uh, but each season has a different score. They do? Rotten Tomatoes does TV scores? <laughs> hey, remember our Glow episode? Oh, you're uh, right. Yeah, it's been a long time since we covered Glow, so I would completely forgotten that TV shows or whatever we call these things now... Uh, <laughs> are also given Rotten Tomatoes rankings and or uh, ratings, excuse me. And all three seasons of Stranger Things are solidly certified fresh, with season one being 97%, season two being 94%, and season three being 89%. So um, people like them. I, I guess, <laughs> I, I don't know. People do. There, there's a market for it. Yes. Do those people not understand they can actually just watch things from the 80s? <laughs> well, do they understand watching The Goonies would take far less time? Yeah, but, you know, we're not writers not in the movies. That's fair. Uh, we're not writers not in The Goonies. So, you have to you know. settle for Josh Brolin uh, in that case. Martha Plimpton. God bless. Uh, so as is customary on The Contrarians, Julio does a little bit of research on the old RT and finds what the critics are saying about it, uh, but has been customary with The Summer of Winona, We've had members of the podcasting community contribute their thoughts, their theories, their anecdotes on what we've been selecting to watch throughout this journey. So, Julio, my understanding is we have a couple quotes from Rotten Tomatoes and we have another member of the podcasting community weighing in. Yes, one that I save for this very, very end because of how special it is. Um, let's, let's get those quotes out of the way first. We got... Anna Liskowitz from The New Statesman, who says, Stranger Things is a rare example of a cultural phenomenon that has delivered wistfulness and familiarity without simply giving audiences more of the same. <laughs> this, by the way. <laughs> okay. This, by the way, is from season one. I took one from each season. Now, for season two, Brian Tellerico from RogerEber.com says, A show that was primarily influenced by the Stevens, King, and Spielberg is layering that nostalgia cake with a frosting of James Cameron. Mm. Fans are going to eat it up. Um, you know, I see the Stephen King and the Steven Spielberg. I don't know that I see the Cameron in it, but maybe. Uh, and then, finally, from season three... As Stranger Things has come into its own and permeated the pop culture zeitgeist, the show has now started paying homage to itself in service of its devoted fan base. That's from Pralat Surari from First Post. And I think it's hilarious that <laughs> as, as, a, as a positive, he's basically pointed out that three seasons in, the show started uh, referencing itself. I mean, I guess he's saying that it's doing it so well that it doesn't matter. These quotes are all about praise, and the clip that we have here, our positive clip, is even more so. This is from our friend Dan from Netflix and Swill. Nice. So appropriate, because 
you know, dance show is all about Netflix, and Stranger Things is one of those uh, Netflix titans. anchor. Mm-hmm. If Netflix yeah, was so... a mall, Stranger Things would be the fucking Dillards of it. <laughs> yes, and Dan would be just that that customer that has the Dillards card and uh, and the Dillards wallpaper on his computer. Always swings probably... by Auntie Anne's pretzels, gets a pretzel and a, a cheese cup, and just walks into Dillards and is like, "Oh man, the spring line's in." <laughs> yep. Uh, so let's let's hear it from Dan in his own words. Hey, Contrarians fans, this is Dan from Netflix and Swill, and the guys have asked me to talk about why I like Stranger Things, so uh, here is my very short take on why I like Stranger Things. Stranger Things is a special show for me. It's the reason I even podcast in the first place. It's also special because it has children characters that I don't find annoying or cringy, which is a true testament to the writing and acting and really even the casting of the show. The show also plays to my sensibilities. Horror creatures from another dimension invading our world and a small group of people have to stop it. It's like the most Call of Cthulhu garbage I've ever heard. I mean, while the kids are ultimately the main characters, the adults go through their own trials and tribulations. I mean, Hopper goes from seemingly throwaway cop character to the series' dad character. Steve goes from high school bully to fan favorite while we're rooting from every step of the way. It's not to say there aren't missteps. I mean, Nancy and Jonathan don't seem to have a purpose, and Willow's been all but cast aside, and really only asking his friends to play D&D. But, I mean, overall, everyone has their purpose, and they're used to good effect. Uh, and then, of course, that brings me to Winona Ryder herself, Lady of the Summer. She's the name attached to this series. I mean, before this show, did you know David Harbour, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, kid Finn Wolfhard, kid who's in every 80s throwback movie because he kind of looks like someone from that era? No, but I wouldn't call her the draw or the star. I mean, she just plays overprotective mother with notes of manic. Her character's fine. I root for her by proxy while I root for Hopper, but that's not Winona's fault. I think she's pretty good with what she's given. Ultimately, I'd like to see her character actually have some agency and not just be Will's mom or Hopper's love interest, but, you know, be Joyce. Thank you, Alex and Julio, for having me. And if you, as in you, the listener, would like to hear more of my thoughts on Stranger Things, uh, I have episodes on all three seasons sitting in the Netflix and Swill back catalog for your personal enjoyment or for you to just ignore that it even exists. So uh, thanks again for having me and uh, goodbye forever. Well, hopefully not forever, Dan. Um, I I have his the, the episodes, the Stranger Things episodes set aside. I was waiting until we were recording this uh, and then I could, because I didn't want his his conversation, his and Caleb's, uh, to influence what we're gonna say, one way or the other. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're not a writer. First billing, top billing, and on Stranger Things, all three seasons. Yes, so far. Yeah, I, I kind of expected that for the first season, but that she had on all three. Yeah, Winona Ryder when this started definitely would have been the anchor of it all, seeing as how the second or the co-lead i guess you could say would be david harbour who plays uh jim hopper the police chief the of the hawkins police department um i guess this was kind of the first thing he did i was i wasn't too familiar with him when he hosted snl i had no idea who he was <laughs> uh you know who he is alex he is uh the the neighbor in revolutionary road you are absolutely a, right he is oh yep. god i watched that movie recently and i knew i had seen him from somewhere and <laughs> His performance in that is gut-wrenching. So, yes, I 
I do know him from somewhere. Oh, and he was in W.E., the movie directed by Madonna. Every, was it directed by Madonna in the 80s? <laughs> no, it was 2011. It was way after the fact where it would have been a novelty. All right, so so Stranger Things, Alex. You, you've experienced it in a rather unusual manner, but also I think... Uh, I don't know. I think it was it was a good way for you to experience it. So tell us what Stranger Things is about beyond the fact that it's about the 80s. Oh, I was going to I was going to ask if you knew it was in the 80s to start it off. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I watched the 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 pilot and then the premiere of season two and premiere of season three. And then I watched the in between like the segue videos, like the recaps and whatnot. Um, so it's basically in. Midwest America. I guess it's the story of, I think the red herring at first is supposed to be that Russia is creating all this problem. And then you finally find out that it is Russia, but at its core, it's about uh, summoning on the other side, the other, this other dimension of evil. Uh, the government of the CIA has created this human weapon. And the, from the other side, the other dimension, the, you know, on the other side of the wall, so to speak, it's starting to come in to where we are. And it's trying to infiltrate and eventually that's going to culminate in like our mass destruction or some shit. And it's got Rudy in it and Winona Ryder's around <laughs> and Paul Reiser for some reason. And it makes sure to remind you every goddamn 30 seconds that it's based in the eighties because I guess uh, right now is way too depressing to make any type of story about. So we have to <laughs> just remind everyone watching at home that it used to be better and that, just hey, remember Eddie Money, and remember this song, and remember when this movie came out. Pretty much a sci-fi Family Guy. It's it's a little bit also like uh, like Boyhood. Whenever <laughs> you know uh, they would they would throw a reference just to let you know what year you were in. Except that here all the references are about the eighties, so it just it, it cycles through them very quickly. Uh, one of the season I, premieres, like it, the opening opening establishing shot is like a pan of someone's front yard and it has the uh, Reagan Bush 84 sign. I'm like, oh, that's right. It's in the 80s. I forgot. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I said it a little bit earlier, uh, it's not really the 80s. It's movies 80s because we've seen what the 80s were like uh, in other movies that are are not as, as kitty like as this one. Like, there's three seasons and I've, I've actually seen every episode and in case you're wondering Alex no cocaine at all this is not like something something like uh, uh, take me home tonight you know which is basically our our standard for 80s movies when it comes to just a fun depiction of what it was like uh, back then even last episode when we did Heathers those kids you know they're a little edgier than what we see here in in, uh, in Stranger Things it's more like uh, you know that critic that quoted uh Spielberg. It's like a Spielberg movie. But the problem is that we've seen those Spielberg movies. <laughs> it's a Spielberg movie where he told everyone on the set that it was an 80s party and you have to just show up dressed like, you know, in cliche 80s gear. Yeah, I mean, good to go. Here's the thing. Spielberg moved on. He he kept up with the times. He doesn't make 80s movies anymore and when he does sort of uh dabble into that it, it just feels like he's like he's slumming it right and uh, i don't even think that this movie goes to the 80s uh, as a way of saying we're gonna look at the 80s with the sensibility of the year 2020 or 2019 or 2018 this is just we are going to recreate 
the the that point of view of be of the eighties movie, and I agree that maybe that's the kind of escapism that that a lot of people are looking for, but it also feels like maybe to some of us we're just too jaded for it. I I, I just uh, I, how do you feel about the kids? Because Dan mentioned that he he thought that one of the 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 special things about it is that it's kids that you, that don't that are not annoying. Do you think that they're that these are that these kids are worthy of of sharing the screen with uh with Winona Ryder and David Harbour? Let me get to the third season. I can tell you definitively that little shit who plays uh, Mike. Mike, yeah. <laughs> I was like rooting for Jim Hopper to like horse collar him and just take him outside and give him like a you know a hockey uppercut or something. They're fine. They're little kids. I did tell you, um, Gatton Matarazzo, the gentleman who plays Dustin. Yes. I, I found him to be very whimsical and in some ways enchanting. I think I related to I could relate to him, but otherwise, yeah, it's a bunch of little kids just being little kids and there are better versions of this that you can go and watch. I think that the the longer we've moved away from the eighties, the the older we've gotten, it's a lot harder to buy into the premise of a bunch of kids saving the world. And this show is just about kids saving the world with a little bit of assistance uh, from some adults. And I just, I have a hard time getting into that now. I, surprisingly enough, I mean, I don't have a hard time when it's a movie that was made back then. I can just, it, I find it easier to buy. But for somebody to try to sell me this story uh, post-2000, I just, I, I, I don't get it. You know, I just, I have a resistance to it. To me, the the show is at its slightly more believable and more compelling when you have Jim Hopper kicking ass. Because I'm like, okay, at least, you know, Jim Hopper, even though he's the, the stereotypical loser cop, he, you know, he's an adult and he goes and he takes care of business. And when Winona Ryder is, is acting like a, like a mom that's freaked out about her kid, I'm like, all right, I've seen it before, but at least it makes sense. But when you have uh, kids, and I don't think that you've, this happens in any of the episodes you've watched, but you know, uh, the uh, Lucas he carries around like a slingshot, like like that's gonna make a difference anywhere when at this, any time. When this Cloverfield monster comes into their dimension, it's not gonna make much of a difference. The the one thing that these kids have going for them is that they have a kid with superpowers. Now you didn't get to see much of her because she shows up mostly towards the end of the first episode, and then. She's mostly absent from the second season premiere because you think that she's dead. On the third season, she's mostly making out with Mike. But this is just basically the the you know, she's the E.T. She's she's the 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 character with powers that the kids bond with. Uh, how, how do you feel about Eleven? What was your your take she's on the, Eleven? The robot from iRobot that like bucks the system and just goes out and has free will now. Uh, I, I don't. Yeah, it's. It's the robot that learns behavior and shit. It's not anything new that we've seen. Um, the little girl who plays the character, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven, who is this alien that's adopted by Jim Hopper, and by the third season, he just believes that she's supposed to act like a normal little girl, is uh, very fascinating to me, um, The I the ideology behind that. I mean, it's fine. And then we learn in season two, based on the premiere that I saw, there are other escapees from that study. There, I believe number eight is in the beginning of season two. And I don't know, they rob a bank or some shit. It, it's 
seen it, been done. I, I, I there was really nothing new. Just you know, uh, fucking Encino Man or any movie of that ilk where you have this uh, monolithic being that you're now going to teach how to act like a normal human. Only when the you know the shit gets rough, they they have they happen to have this ability to control shit with their mind. I I don't know. Um, I'm gonna blow your mind, Alex. But uh, that that whole side story with number eight, she shows up uh-huh. a couple times through the second season, and then they drop that like a hot potato. <laughs> she doesn't show up again uh, all throughout. I mean, that uh, doesn't surprise me. To keep uh, like a through line like that, it would uh, require the audience of the show to be patient enough to make it from Billy Idol tracks to the next one. So I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised to hear that they just introduce things and then just completely let it fall off. Yeah. There's no follow through. And I, I think the part of it is because they, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it on, on real talk, uh, about what's the deal with that storyline. But, uh, I think that it might be that the creators, is it the, the Duff brothers, the Duffy brothers, uh, which was the, the, the beer from the Simpsons. Duff. Yeah. Okay, then they're Duffy, maybe? <laughs> Duffer. Duffer. Uh, yeah, the Duffer brothers, I think they're just... They might have made the mistake of having fallen too much in love with uh, Hawkins. I think that's the name of the town. To where they're reluctant to let it go. Uh, because to me, when I saw the, the season two premiere, I remember thinking, all right, we're 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 moving forward. Like season one set up kind of like the tone of the show. And now we're going to... We're going to go somewhere else bold you know it's like a different city and different characters and all that stuff but not really i mean it just it reverts to hawkins indiana and the same cast and the same problems uh over and over i mean it's three seasons of them basically fighting the same monster you know in the first season it kidnaps will in the second season it tries to control will's mind tries to possess him and then in the third season it tries to possess the whole town <laughs> but that's basically it over and over i'm pretty sure the fourth season is going to have to it is going to deal with with that same creature that same alien entity one way or another uh that is i mean i guess in a way it, it's like uh you know like tyler perry i remember reading an interview where he was just like you, you got to uh, super serve your audience you know you figure out what your audience likes and you just give them as much of it as you want and you give them like 10 Medea movies and I think that the, the Duffer brothers figure out that oh the formula is just these kids running around fighting this alien monster uh, hanging out with some adults that don't quite take them seriously at times throw in a little bit of sexual tension between between our writer and David Harbour uh throw in some sexual tension between the kids themselves and uh and that's it we're just gonna do that over and over again uh it's i mean you can't argue against its success but at the same time i almost feel like when you're that successful as a as a creator and as a show you have the responsibility to push the envelope even further out it's uh nypd blue er uh what are friends i'm trying to think of like the really um, intensely popular sitcoms of the nineties. Um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> sitcom may be an intense word uh, to describe this. Um, ER would be a better example because it wasn't like a laugh track and it wasn't really structured that way. But um, what's the other one? The one that everyone was gaga about. Lost. It's. I, don't, I don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see. Uh, okay, I'll take Lost off the list. I'm trying to think of any because I'm looking for more things in the realm of like fantastical or uh, science fiction, so it doesn't just seem like I'm cherry picking the easy choices from the 90s. 
Shit, there had to be like some sci-fi show that was a big deal. Well, like something like uh, Quantum Leap, maybe. You know, Quantum Leap is just basically the well, same story over and over. Well, yeah, my point trying to be like, if this was a show that was on ABC or NBC or Fox or CBS on Sunday nights or Thursday nights, uh, there would be plenty of people that would be detractors of it. But because it's on Netflix, that still, despite how accessible it is, feels like this kind of exclusive crew, this club you kind of have to have a badge to get into. Uh, people are generally going to over-celebrate it. Uh, granted, I haven't watched the whole series, but uh, based on what I've seen so far, this is not what I was expecting in terms of wow. Or nor has this, like... Um, the big thing I was worried about was I was going to watch the pilot and then be like, uh, oh, man, I can't watch these other two because I want to watch this so bad. And I just watched <laughs> it and I was just like, well, I can almost predict what's going to happen from here, so let's just move on. And um, now I kind of understand why it has the following it does, because it reminds everybody of when things used to be better. Because now you can go get the season one of Stranger Things on DVD or Blu-ray, but it looks like it comes in a VHS box, because that's cool. <laughs> uh, there is, there is uh, I don't know if, if it was as noticeable to you, having watched only the beginning of each season, but to me... There is one thing where, where they actually tweak the formula for the worst, in my opinion. And that is that once you get to season three, it kind of goes from uh, from just aping the, the Spielberg 80s style of movie to in season three. It kind of mixes it with just the, the 80s really cheesy kind of humor and comedy. I mean, I don't know if, how much you could tell, but I, I mean, just from, from the opener of season three, when you see uh, Hopper's mustache and just the, the mom's all getting all horny over the lifeguard at the pool. The accidental it, macing of the little boy. Yeah, it just seems like they, they decided to kick it up a notch. I mean, you mentioned laugh track, and there's no laugh track, but it might as well have been in this one. I felt that they they felt like the way to spice up the formula of the third season was to just make things a little more over the top and more ridiculous. And I, I don't know that it worked for me because uh, I wasn't laughing. I was just cringing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that you can tell based on what what I've been saying that I like Jim Hopper overall as a character, and uh, he just seems to be kind of a buffoon in in season three, just unable to handle that his uh, adopted daughter has a boyfriend that is now. Definitely something with the hindsight of just skipping, obviously, and it's not like we're talking about these. The show's not real seasons; they're not twenty-four episodes long. Uh, they're each eight episodes, but just jumping in that, you know, jumping those hurdle to respective hurdle. Like the first season, he was this interesting, like hard-ass alcoholic that <laughs> took his job for granted, and then like. At the end of the second season, or excuse me, at the premiere, the end of the premiere of the second season, it's revealed that he's housing this um, manufactured human that he's going to now treat and show how to live like a real person, ostensibly the plot of the Iron Giant. Then in season three, yeah, he's like this dork-ass overprotective dad. It's <laughs> in the words of the Joker in the Dark Knight, what happens? Your balls drop off? Like, it, it it's not a proper... Uh, I guess it would make more sense if I watched the whole series. Does he like gradually become more and more of like a joke? Nope. He is a complete <laughs> badass, uh, you know, as much as an 80s badass uh, in season one and two. And then season three, for some reason, it's just like a, a switch was flipped and, and he's just a joke. He spends 
I want to say the entire season, uh, once things get rolling, he's just wearing a Hawaiian shirt the entire time, just because <laughs> it's funny. Uh, and it's because it's kind there of, was a cop in an '80s movie that did that once, so we have to do it. <laughs> yes, uh, which is it's what makes it harder is that they're very clearly even from season one. I think they're trying to set him up with Winona Ryder, and uh, like that's the end game. It, it gets harder to buy it the, the more ridiculous he becomes. How? Maybe it's just that I'm a little protective of Winona Ryder after having seen her uh, go through so many bad relationships in the summer of Winona. But to me, it it, it was, you know, once they showed her in season two dating uh, Rudy. Uh, uh, Sean Astin? Yes. I was going to say Sam from uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, it, to me, I was like, all right, finally. He's not the most exciting guy in the world, but but it looks like in the year, in, in the year 2018, 2017... When our writer finally found somebody that respects her, treats her kindly, doesn't try to manipulate her. <laughs> and uh, I loved their middle aged passion of them just making out in the storage closet. <laughs> it, it certainly uh, provided a, a very, a lot of contrast to other when our writer sex scenes that we've seen this summer. Um, you know, it wasn't in a garage and uh, there was at least some eye contact. But didn't you feel like that? The show was kind of, uh, I don't know, it felt to me like a low blow and not a good one. And the fact that they just basically get rid of that that character, uh, who to me, you, you know, you want to buck the trend of, of how you're copying these things. You know, you know, it's just like adopt the tropes of the 80s and then subvert them, right? And so uh, from the moment that they introduced Sean Astin, this guy's not gonna make it because he's just he's just too nice and already already think that the show is setting things up for it to be a, about a relationship between Hopper and and Winona. So how cool would it have been if no, if actually the show set up Sean Astin as a recurring character that was gonna stick around for the long haul and become a serious relationship with Winona Ryder and just you know until the end. But instead, they get rid of him in the most vicious way possible. You you saw what happens to him in the. In the recap, right? I mean, they... Yeah, one of the hellhounds trounce him. Vicious. <laughs> That's a very common thing. That's a very... Uh, I mean, this is a lot more of a real talk point than a facetious one, but that's definitely something that um, Wes Craven introduced with Scream, with Drew Barrymore getting killed in the first fucking five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it was, that has... I mean, that's already almost... 30 years ago. Is that right? No, it's like 25 years ago. But anyway, here nor there, uh, that's like transcended itself already into different generations where the interpretation of it is, okay, we have to make a really likable character so we can then kill him off. And that's a really weird trend that has been prevalent, especially in the past decade of filmmaking. And that's like here too. It's like poor Sean Astin. He seems so nice and just like, a, a normal dude, so let's brutally kill him in front of the woman that's fallen in love with him. It's so weird, too, because there's, like, the undercurrent of the show. I would say even, you know, all throughout this, uh, the three seasons, but especially at the beginning, you know, it's just, uh, oh, well, we are we are with the underdog. The story of the, you know, because these kids, they're they're bullied at school. They're, they're the weirdos. They like science. They're not popular. And... Uh, and then what happens this one too when you find when the show introduces a character that's even less popular than them, the the show itself bullies that character. It's just uh, 
it, it feels a little insulting to the people that kind of uh, latch on to him. You know, it, it makes the entire show be uh, hypocritical. It's like, oh, you're only a cool nerd if you're hanging out with the girl that has superpowers. But if you're like the dork that has no idea what's going on, well, you know, you know, we're just gonna make fun of uh, of the fact that you are so below with our writer's level and you're so lucky that she's making out with you and then the kids are going to laugh behind your back the entire time then we're going to have you die in the most stupid way because uh you probably didn't get to see it in full in that recap but the way he dies it's just it could have been avoided it's just that the show needed to kill him so uh yeah overall it's uh I don't know, it feels like a little bit of a betrayal, even of the, the very simple, basic things that the show is proposing. Uh, just the way it treats Sean Austin. I guess, if nothing else, I don't know if you could tell from the from the recap, but at the very least, uh, at least they don't kill Paul Reiser, which maybe would have been a line a line too far to cross. Yeah, that's. I, I'm glad to hear that, because when he was introduced, <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. Uh, so I'm glad <laughs> to hear he was not brutally killed off in a demeaning fashion. So then season three... I think that uh, it has, uh, again, showing just how the show repeats itself. Uh, you know, season two opens with those uh, with those teenagers, with number eight in a different city. And you think, you get excited. You think, okay, we're, we're switching locations, right? Season three opens in Russia. Like, I thought we were finally going international here. That, uh, that we're going to explore just a different part of the world in this in this Stranger Things universe. But no, it's just the cold open. We never go back to Russia again. Because they have to remind you it's the 80s and the Cold War is going on. <laughs> yes. Doesn't I think the final shot is just you, the, the, the Russian uh, the Russian uh, flag. is. It looks like uh, that shot from the opening of Watchmen, from the, the opening credits, where uh, I think it's uh, <laughs> Fidel Castro and, uh, and maybe Gorbachev turning to around. To be fair, it was the... If I remember correctly, it was the Soviet Union flag, to be fair oh, and well. honest. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's not Putin. And then, you know, because I guess they couldn't get... They killed off uh, Sean Astin and they couldn't get Paul Reiser to come back. So the two big gets in season three are Jake Busey and a guy that looks like uh, Matt Dillon if he was old. Uh, you know what we're talking <laughs> so, about? like <laughs> n- No, because uh, they couldn't get the real Matt Dillon and... Uh, <laughs> So is it? Does it turn out that Eleven is a Russian spy? Because that's what's being postulated at the beginning of season two. No, no, Eleven is not even. Uh, I was gonna wait till real talk to tell you, but she's she's actually just like a little girl. She's not even like an alien or anything. She's a, a little girl that was experimented on, and she got those powers. And uh, but the the reporter that uh, from season two, you know, he's obsessed with with Russia and conspiracy theories. So that's just kind of a running joke. But no. Uh, no, that dude's fucking hilarious. I was very disappointed that he wasn't there for comic relief. Oh, he he shows up in season three, cranked up to a hundred. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, your spider sense uh, was was telling the truth. That guy was that guy is there for comedic relief, and well, I guess everybody's there for comedic relief in in season uh, season three. Uh, Max, how do you feel about Max, the the redhead? Uh, skateboarder that they introduce in season two with, I guess, the brother that's just kind of a badass and then becomes a lifeguard in season three. Uh, yay, nay. Were you surprised that she ended up uh, dating Lucas and not Dustin or dating anyone at all? No, because as soon as it introduced, I was like, okay, well, this is going to be someone involved in their little clique come season three. And <laughs> yeah, her, the brother's, is it Billy? Is that his name? Uh huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's seen it, been there, done that. Uh, no, there wasn't really much to it that surprised me one way or the other. I can compliment them all on that the none of the acting is bad, but it's just like the tropes themselves are not things that I thought were terribly new or groundbreaking. Um, I mean, she goes by Mad Max, and she's good at video games, and she bucks the trends of what a girl's supposed to be, so... Which, which in itself is just such a trope. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I just wish they could have done something else, right? It, it would have been funny, uh, more entertaining if they are convinced that she's Mad Max, and it turns out that she's not Mad Max. It turns out that you know, well, just because I, I skateboard and I like to play video games doesn't have to be this doesn't have to mean that I'm great at video games. You know, just uh, why? The, I wish that they had put their own spin on all these tropes. Well, before we talk, because I'm kind of curious how you feel about the, the, the whole, the sex in this show, but before that, how do you feel about the smoking in this show? Because I was worried about Winona Ryder's uh, health. I guess Hopper's to a point too, but, but Winona, because again, we've gotten attached to her over the summer, but she, she and Hopper smoke like chimneys. And that is something that, uh, I mean, I understand that if you're trying to recreate the 80s, the 80s sensibilities, that's, yeah, you you, you saw a lot more smoking on screen back then. But uh, I don't know. I mean, unless the, the, the game plan is in season four, somebody gets lung cancer and then I can see why the buildup, you know, is there. But uh, it was, I just found it kind of off-putting uh, just seeing it through my 2020 eyes, which is, you know, the eyes that are, this show was designed for. Uh, how do you feel about the smoking? Uh, it didn't really bother me. I mean... Hopper uh, is obviously a man of um, simple means. I, I noticed the byline through all of them is he always drinks Schlitz beer, which I literally <laughs> have not had Schlitz since college. And uh, I don't know, Winona's a single mom working at the fucking Rite Aid in town, so I can understand that she needs something to consistently take the edge off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, cigarettes were a lot cooler back then, I guess. I don't know. It, it, when Stranger Things 6 comes out and it's in the 90s, it'll just replace it with Zimas. So <laughs> so, do, so you think do you think that the, the cigarette, all the smoking there is to make Hopper and Winona seem cool? Or is it there to reflect how stressed out they are? Oh, yeah. It's definitely not there to make them seem cool. It's to show, to consistently beat you over the head with the, how in disarray their life is and how stressed they constantly are so they have these addictive crutches i mean the the first thing you see of hopper is oh man he's taking pills and he's drinking beer in the morning and smoking cigarettes see, this guy's got problems okay so one final point just uh sex i guess it, it, it not in the sense of i mean this is you know it, i mean if this was a movie it would be like what pg-13 right it never yeah. goes hardcore uh, no it just it goes I, to establish teen horniness which is a very real thing but they try to do it and just a lot of making out and uh yeah i mean it's the toned down version of what like the sex with teenagers aspect would be of like a friday the 13th or uh nightmare on elm street where it's just constant horniness but with this it's toned down and just a lot of uh innocent kissing Right. Uh, well, I, I brought it up because uh, Dan mentioned that that Steve, uh, who we really haven't talked about him, uh, he he becomes a fan favorite, which I had no idea. I, you know, I've kind of been insulated from uh, all the 
the discourse surrounding the show for the most part because I hadn't watched it yet. So I I didn't know that he'd become a fan favorite. I can see that the show obviously likes the character. I mean, they've you know he's still around, uh, but he's basically the the cool guy dating uh, the the shy girl, which is yet you know another trope. But uh, yeah, why why does he become a loser in season three? <laughs> because it's funny. I, that's really the main reason. Oh. Uh, yeah, I guess the the recap didn't convey that very well. The, and I don't know how surprised you were to see that by season three, Nancy's shacking up with uh, with Will's brother, with Jonathan. Mm-hmm. W- was that a shock, or could you see that coming? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I could see it coming, but it, really nothing I saw in those season recaps had me like do a double take. Steve, I mean, basically he's... In a way, I you know his arc could be the most compelling out of them if it was pulled off correctly because he stars as this really popular guy that falls for a girl that's not popular and through the process of losing her to to a guy that's also kind of a weirdo outcast, he sort of finds his humanity and uh, uh, you know by season three he's kind of uh, you know he's no longer the cool guy. Uh, I just wish that the show didn't drop the ball the way it does in season three with with the tonal changes and and you know it's just well isn't it funny if we have him much like Hopper on his uh, Hawaiian shirt, Steve spends the entire third season in that sailor uniform, because I guess the the, the showrunners thought it was funny and they just committed to that. It's uh, I don't know, but but he you know now that's a guy that if you're talking about the, the sexual aspect of this of this show. You know, he very much, uh, uh, he's going after Nancy from the first time that we see him. You know, he's just like aggressively sexual. And uh, and then I think that as the show goes on, it, it, the seasons go by, that gets toned down, not just in that character, but overall, I think that uh, everybody, you know, there's a, uh, whenever sex comes up, it's no longer about uh sort of a somewhat accurate representation of it, but more as in like, oh, well, let's make a joke about it. You know, let's, like I said earlier, like, or let's, let's see the horny moms uh, just getting hot and bothered uh, over Billy in his uh, short shorts when he's a, when he's a lifeguard. So I, I don't know. It felt like yet, yet another missed opportunity. And I know that part of it is just that I just want the show to be harder, to be, you know, uh, edgier, and, but that goes against the premise of let's just recapture the magic of uh, of 1980s uh, fantasy movie. Uh, but it it bothered me. It, it you know it's uh, especially because it comes with such high uh, with such hype from everybody else. Yeah, it's it really is nothing challenging or anything we haven't seen before already. I don't really know what it means to penetrate pop culture in 2020. I don't really know how that is assessed anymore. So I guess that wouldn't be my place to comment on it. So, But I was surprised after all I heard that this is kind of what it resulted in and that it wasn't just more Winona Ryder. Here's here's the final test. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to tell me how you feel hearing it. And the season finale of season three... Hopper dies after Winona Ryder agrees to go on a date with him. He uh, did, something happens. He dies. <laughs> okay, it's, 
that's not surprising. It, it seems like he's the one actor they've created from this, uh, or the one actor, excuse me, that has benefited the most from it. Uh, the kids also, but definitely this David Harbour character. Uh, maybe he's moving on to bigger and better things. I don't know. Uh, but that is like, that's not surprising at all. Very, it- that's, that's a very standard trope that I'm assuming happens while, uh, fucking Yazoo's only you plays or some shit. <laughs> well, I mean, it happens while we know writers watching. So, so there's that, uh, does like one of the is another one of those dogs that comes out and eats them? No, that would have been just even for Stranger Things that would have been too much repetition. Uh, <laughs> no, something has to be blown up, and and he basically he's there when it gets blown up. He sacrifices himself, and it's just you see it coming. It's just you know like everything else, you see it coming. Uh, but yeah, that's I I think that that's uh, it. If to be generous, it's just to say. Yeah, not for me, man. I I I did this before, and uh, and to be harsh is to say, oh man, I wish they should have done better with what they had because they have they have a good cast. I think that even here in Contrarian's Corner, we it, it that's hard to like spin any other way. They you know not just because of Winona, but everybody else, uh, except maybe for the guy that plays the science teacher who's just. Uh, I, I don't know. That guy feels like he's in a comedy. He's in a sitcom from the first season. The guy that's really excited like, about the radio. and For like three minutes, I thought that was French Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> then I would have appreciated that performance a lot more. All right. So we ready for real talk? It's not going to yeah. be really too much different. <laughs> There'll be. I, I have I have some, some nice things to say. Uh, but yeah, let's go to real talk. It's safe in here. But hell, what is this place? Mama said there would be others here, like me. That's what Mama said. So, like, your mom? No, Mama. Oh, hey, while we're waiting, do you want to do one of those kisses, like from season two? This doesn't seem like the time, Mike. Yeah, totally. I was thinking we should wait, too. I'm not, like, crazy horny or anything. <laughs> oh, well, look out! Don't move! Should we celebrate with, like, a kiss or some over-the-jean stuff? Mike, not now. Who are you? Um, special. Like you. I'm 11. I can move objects with my mind, but it gives me tiny nosebleeds. I'm 14. I can start fires with my mind, but every time I do, I throw up a little bit in my mouth. Watch. Pretty cool, right? Mama was right. There are more like me than I thought. That must be so disorienting. Should we kiss? There are a lot more like you. I'm nine. I can read people's minds, but if I do, it makes me fart. Oh, really? Well, then what am I thinking now? You're worried that I'm gonna fart. (laughs) And I'm five. I could run really fast, like the Flash, but every time I do, I get a boner. So I have to stop running to hide the boner. It's, it's not a good power. Uh, I've been kicked off the track team twice. But, uh, oh, hey, it looks like your friend Mike has the same power. What? Oh, what? That's not, no, 
that's a flashlight in case we get lost. Actually got more out of that contrarian's corner portion than we I thought we would have after I guess it was probably about two and a half hours of Stranger Things that I watched. Um, okay. I mean, the one thing I just wanted to say the whole first portion, because you've seen so much shit from the 80s that you can make what you think is a better version of an 80s movie or series. You know, honestly, the whole time I was watching this, I was just thinking like, you know, I don't think in 30 years people are going to be making uh, TV shows and movies based in 2018. You know, we, we're obviously going to get like the political dramas and shit. And obviously 2020, Jesus Jones has lent itself yes. to uh, a story all its own. But it's like there's n- really no nothing really good has happened. And there's really no nostalgia to me that can come from anything after 2008. And I think there's just been like this increased reliance on nostalgia from previous er eras, excuse me. And I just have to accept that that's just not going to work for me, but it's what the public needs. It's what most people need. They need to be reminded that it used to be better. And they need to be reminded of, uh, especially considering this, of what it was like to be a little kid when things were better. Um, And it's... Because this is the one thing I didn't ask in Contrarian's Corner that really could Is it ever explained why it's in the 80s? Like, for example, one of my all-time favorite movies, The Sandlot, the whole movie, like, the movie takes place present day, but the majority of it's just a flashback. So is there any explanation in this as to why it's happening in the 80s, or is it just happening in the 80s? It's just happening in the 80s. But I think, you know... It, a lot of here in real talk a lot of what i'm gonna say it's just gonna be nicer versions of what i already said in contrarian's corner <laughs> but but i also have other other points but the idea that i mean the the main purpose of this show is simply to be set in the 80s i, to I invoke think that that's nostalgia correct force nostalgia you know it, <laughs> yeah but but I, I think you know i would like to think that it's uh it's not as calculated as that, or, or at least, I mean, obviously it's calculated. It's designed, you know, to scratch your 80s itch. But uh, I would imagine that the the Duffer brothers have a very special connection to those movies and to those uh, to those type of archetypes, you know, for the stories, the, the, the characters. And they made a show that they would love. And surprise, you know, it just hit a chord with a lot of people that actually would would also love that kind of story. And, you know, those tropes, it's, uh, well, let's not get too much into it. Let's, let's do the, the quotes first and the clip, and then, then we can just really dive into it. Because it is kind of a an unsettling thought, what you just said, because it could be true that, that we, as time goes on, all we're doing is recycling nostalgia. <laughs> and I think I would like to think that I can offer some pushback towards that, but but maybe not. So we'll find out. Uh, so if, yeah. if you approve. Being, a, being a, a wrestling fan teaches you these trends that come before they do. In that industry, baby, we've been recycling nostalgia for fucking 25 years. So I, I'm I'm aware of where we're going with the, with the modern trends. <laughs> I guess, yeah, that means there are some people, critics, that did not like it. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have uh, three quotes, and then we have another very special clip. Uh, so let's start with... Uh, so all these are rotten quotes, and like I said, like I did in the Nutrias Corner, I have one for each season. So for season one, I have uh, Robert Blanco from USA Today, who says, If only it all felt just a bit faster. There are inevitable moments in such stories as when someone finally believes the person everyone else thinks is crazy and Stranger Things keeps you waiting too long to reach them. Um, he's not wrong. That was one of my problems with the show. Uh, and that is, you know, I guess my problem with a lot of movies uh, from back then. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, Darren Franich from Entertainment Weekly says, No one wants to stay at a party that long, and it's worth pointing out that no classic 80s movie mentioned in this review ran over two hours. No one will complain if Stranger Things 3 rips off the concept of brevity. A man after my own heart. It's like eight episodes, season one, nine episodes, season two, eight episodes, season three. That's not terribly long as far as episode count, and yet... I felt the length. I, I, I felt some padding. So that's, you could you know, that could be a problem. What I perceive to be the story of this television show, you could tell in a two-hour movie. Yeah. At least per season. You know, it's like each season, I think, could be a two-hour movie and, you know, there wouldn't be much sacrifice. Uh, unless, you know, like, again, if you're into it, then you just want as many episodes as, you, as, as possible. Uh, and then finally... Emma Stefanski from Thrillist. The problem with aggressively reminding your audience of the classics time and again is that you'll eventually get to a point when they'd rather watch those movies instead and skip the show that can't stop toothlessly imitating them. Wow. Uh, the the toothless comment was a bit unnecessary, but yeah, that's... <laughs> the whole time this was happening, I was like, do people not understand they can just watch The Goonies or The Lost Boys? Like, dude... Uh, yeah. <laughs> well... I mean, I, I, there's an argument for it, much, I think, kind of in the vein of, of our argument for remakes, uh, but we'll get there. Now, we have a clip, our final clip of the summer of Winona. It's from our friend Paul from The Countdown. Uh, he recorded this a long time ago, and he actually likes the show. It's just that, you know, this is about as negative as he can get about it. Hello, Julio. Hello, Alex. This is Paul from The Countdown Movie and TV Reviews Podcast. And today is my pleasure to add to your Summer of Winona. And indeed, her performance in one of the greatest cultural events of the last decade or so. A throwback to the 80s. A throwback to when I was very young. Stranger Things. Now, Stranger Things, I think we'd all agree, phenomenal. Amazing show. Really carved a niche out for itself. Has spawned countless copies between TV and film. But Winona Ryder, playing a very central role in the film, that of Joyce Byers, mother of Will, who disappears in the first season, to be fair to her, may not be written the best. But to be unfair to her, or perhaps to be judgmental and more to the point, is incredibly, painfully over the top. By far, she is the worst thing about the first season of Stranger Things. And though, arguably, by the end of the third season, she is better, she's kind of grown into the role, is not quite as grating. She has less to be frantic and over the top and oh my god about. She is so overacting that first season, it is hard to watch. If you took her out and put in someone who's playing it a little bit more low-key, a little bit more relatable, that show, that first season might damn well be near perfect. Winoda, sadly, for me, drags it right the fuck down. 
So, there we are. As far as I'm concerned, the best thing Stranger Things could do would be to kill off Joyce Byers and get rid of, rid of, <laughs> rid of Winona Ryder so she can be gone forever and we can enjoy the final season or three of Stranger Things without the spectre of her shithouse overacting. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on today. It's been a pleasure to contribute to the summer of Winona. Go well, stay strong, and very much stay safe. This is Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews signing off and wishing you all the best for what will no doubt be the autumn of regret. <laughs> Jesus, that's... that's uh, to close the summer of Winona, our last clip is from somebody who actually wants her character dead. That's... Uh, that's darker than anything that has happened. <laughs> well, I was more concerned with how he said, I think we can all agree that Stranger Things is a phenomenon. Uh, no, we we all okay. can't agree on that, Paul. Uh, before we, while we still have some Stranger Things fans listening, <laughs> I want to, I, I, I want to, hold on. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, Julio, but for my like disclaimer, I yeah, I did not watch all three seasons of this. I'm going off of what I saw from the three season premieres. And so if anyone's really upset by that and feels that I am missing or I will get something rather from the rest of the series, uh, I implore you to try to make your case to me. So again, on that, I understand going into this, that uh, my judgment is being based on very much a uh, book by its cover level but I feel like I did at least a little bit of due diligence to have my mind made up to a certain extent. Julio, I apologize for derailing your thought there. I just wanted to make sure that was the disclaimer put out at the very front of this discussion. Well, I think that uh, part of this real talk conversation would be... No, that's not true. I was going to say this is going to be me kind of making the, play, the plea you know, for you to like go back and watch and appreciate what I think is good about the show, but that's not true because uh, one of the reasons I... I kind of proposed this idea of you doing the three separate episodes is because having watched the three seasons, I it, to me, it didn't feel like a show that you would enjoy to begin with. It wasn't even, <laughs> you know, I like the show overall, uh, but it's not a show that I love. Definitely don't love it the way that, that people seem to do, uh, to, the way that people seem to love it. So, you know, you it would be like the equivalent of making you, you know, watch the, the MCU movies all the way to Endgame. You know, it's like, yes, you'll find things about them that you'll enjoy. But overall, it's not your cup of tea. And granted, I mean, I would say when it comes to predicting what you're going to like and what you're going to hate, I probably have like a 50% batting average. But in this <laughs> case, I am I, I am fairly... Uh, uh, confident that I got it right, even though I might be, it might be colored by my my perception, might be colored by the fact that I also wasn't crazy about it, about the the eightiesness of it. I think that if this was more, if it leaned less on uh, fantasy sci-fi and more horror, and maybe I would think, oh, this this has the potential to really get into like, you know, be more like Alex's wheelhouse. But I don't know. I I, I don't think so. I. It, what I wanted to say was that I I do like some things about it a lot. I think the second season is by far the best. Like it's, I think the second season is head and shoulders over season one and season three, uh, which is not something that you could tell obviously from just watching the first episode. But uh, which, funny enough, I don't know. I it seems to be kind of a uh, uh, not a very popular opinion. I 
just from my brief interactions with fans of the show online, uh, whenever I say that I prefer season two out of all three, they give me the side eye. Like, that's not, you know, I, I think that everybody thinks that season three is the best or season one is the best, season three is second best. But uh, I I think that when you get to the end of season two, uh, the plot, you know, I could I don't really care, but the characters have been developed enough that the, the end of season two is very emotional and I think it works really well and then also by the time you get to the end of season three like to me season three I don't like the season overall but uh, uh, when you get to the end if that was the end of the show I would have been like all right it was a bumpy ride but at least it did its characters justice uh, so so I mean something works obviously because it's it's not like I was watching the show uh and not enjoy myself it's just that as i was watching it i was also very aware that i was not loving it the way other people do and that it's partly because that i just don't get that kick out of a uh it has to be the 80s thing of it you know the uh is that an age thing i mean i don't know i, I kind of get the feeling that that the, the appeal of stranger things is wide-ranging where it comes to uh demographic it feels like young people like it and older people like it so i don't think it's it has to do with my age uh i don't think it has to do with the genre because i like sci-fi i like fantasy uh and i like those old movies that this uh that this show references although i don't like them enough to where i'm constantly re-watching them you know they're not my rotation they're not my go-to uh you know, other than stuff like Back to the Future and the Indiana Jones movies, I don't really go back to like the Goonies or even Gremlins uh, uh, unless, you know, something radical happens. So I think that might be part of it. I think that there's, I know that there's a lot of people out there that enjoy that, that, uh, I love 80s movies, that era. It didn't work for you either. You know, it's, and, and yeah, I think that, yeah, why wouldn't you watch the Goonies? Why wouldn't we watch, uh, uh, you know, Gremlins instead of watching Stranger Things. We did like an episode on Gremlins a long time ago, partially the, about Gremlins. Having the benefit <laughs> to have 30 years of figuring out how to do something better and then taking credit for doing something better 30 years later is not that, that <laughs> is not something that I think should necessarily be celebrated as a really strong way of wording that, but. Being able to make it's exactly that. Being able to make the Goonies better after having you know thirty years to study it and break it down. That's you know that's the whole point of a remake is putting a spin on it. God. It could be that it's just not it's not just remaking the Goonies uh, to play devil's advocate against both of our own takes. I think that it's it goes beyond that. I think it's about capturing the spirit of not just the Goonies, but everything else uh, that falls under that that umbrella of, you know, the 80s magic. You ever heard of a movie called Drive? <laughs> Have I, do you, do you understand that they that movie accomplished that, but still based the movie in present day? Uh, yes, uh, but it also kind of sucks. Well, that's your opinion, and it's wrong, <laughs> but... And then there's, um, I mean, Christ's sake, Adventureland is one of my favorite movies that we've done. And that's a movie based in the 80s, but at no point does it become self-referential. And at no point does it 
really go out of its way to establish that it's in the 80s. And no point does it try to remind you, oh, remember Pretty in Pink? Oh, remember The Breakfast Club? Oh, man, remember this movie? Oh, remember we used to go to the arcade and we'd play fucking Dragon's Lair? Which I believe that that game they play in the second season, that's on, uh, you could play that on Laserdisc if I remember correctly. It's, yep. a, it's a movie that is based in the 80s because that's part of the story. The story isn't that it's based in the 80s. Again, The Sandlot is a movie that is based in present day. The majority of the movie is reflecting to childhood. Now, I understand you could classify that as a period piece, what have you. Almost Famous, top five movie all time for me, based in the 70s. It is part of the story that it's in the 70s. The story is not that it's in the 70s. In both Adventureland and Almost Famous, the musical choices and... Uh, I guess I would say any pop culture references to the time in those movies are happenstantial to the story. The musical choices in those movies are musical choices that fit to what is happening in the story at the time using music that was available at that time. It is not music that is being used to make you reflect upon, oh man, remember that time? Oh man, remember this song was from the 80s. I... I'm sorry, I rolled my eyes at so much of this, and I after the second episode, which was a season two, I went to my sister, because I know she had watched it, and I'm like, what am I missing? She said, dude, I, I didn't get it either. I kept with it just to see you know, what everyone was gaga about, and I just don't understand it. And so, again, this falls into the Marvel Cinematic Universe discussion of, I'm wrong on this, and I'm, I fear at this point I've alienated and maligned any supporters that I had from my MCU argument because they're going to now be like, oh, well, I was with you on that, but fuck you for this. I've basically become Trump to where I've like only the people that will support me now are the people that will support me no matter what. And uh, are the people that will go down. Yes. Go down. The, the ship goes down. Okay. This this is where we are. These Netflix series. This is this is it's not going to change for the foreseeable future. So this is how it's going to be. Um, and I guess the massive standouts so far have been what? This, Ozark. Um, shit. I'm trying to think of like the, the actual written ones because, you know, you have like all the documentary series and stuff that people go gaga um, about. I mean, I, I guess up to a point uh, uh, that the Kevin Spacey uh, oh. House of Cards. Oh, that did I that guess. start on Netflix? Yeah, that's a, that's. I think that was one of their first Netflix originals. Well, I might kiss my grits. I thought it started on the first TV. Um, no, no, no. Anyway, my thought about this is from the get go as a writer, and again, I'm not giving the Duffer Brothers advice because they they're sleeping on massive piles of money with many beautiful <laughs> women right now. But the way I interpret it is, you're admitting defeat. You're admitting that you can't write a show that is able to capture childlike glee and joy by basing it in present day. And that's, that's not exclusive to this show. There really isn't too much happening right now where the plot is based in present day, where it's not some drama or like crushing, depressing movie. Uh, because obviously, like I said, there since like 2008, Nothing has really been able to conjure up feelings of like nostalgia or, uh, oh, remember that? Because everything's just been fucking the same since then. And so, because of that, we now fall into this category of over reliance on nostalgia. And uh, it 
feels like it's admitting defeat. It feels like uh, Little Women, all the remakes we're getting. Uh, <laughs> like you have to go to this bygone era. Obviously, Little Women's a bit more extreme because it's a little bit before the fucking 1980s. <laughs> but it feels like all these things that are getting celebrated and like, oh, this is so fun. You have to see it are either things that rely heavily on nostalgia or obviously just extremely fantastical things like fucking uh, the Avengers things. Absolutely preposterous because this I mean, there's some dark tones to this. The idea of this alternate dimension and these things that are coming to wipe out existence. That's pretty intense. But then it's just like this reliance on. Oh man, here's Whip It Good by Devo. Oh, remember when the <laughs> the Hot and Ready came out at McDonald's? Uh, it's it's let's uh, see. Uh, I was just gonna uh, say go, go again. It's I being a horror fan, and you know, all jesting aside, being a wrestling fan, these industries that just absolutely time and time again, just all they do is rest on nostalgia. I've seen these cards be played before, and you know. It's I, I guess I don't I'm, I'm fearing that I'm coming off as very like holier than thou or like I saw it coming type thing that when a project is given more oomph and truth be told, better writing and a bigger budget, but still is just relying on manipulating emotions to reflect on when it used to be better. Like I there has to be some scene in this show where they go to a blockbuster video, right? No, but I would think, wouldn't you think Blockbuster would be the 90s? I guess Blockbuster would be the uh, a video store of some sort. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they, uh, they, you have the, the the first episode of season two when they it's movie night and uh, Jonathan comes back with like uh, three movies. That's right. Out of that says Blockbuster, but <laughs> it's definitely the, the VHS tapes there. Uh, but I get it. I, I, I get think... it. it. Like shit did used to be better. It's just like I wish uh, – and that's not – that's not just because I'm alive right now. Everyone has rose-tinted glasses and everyone has golden age thinking. So it's not something exclusive, but what the difference is, is that film and television making has gone so far into the uh, nostalgia craze, nostalgia slash completely absurd fictional phase that it's like, I want someone to make something based in present day that can elicit joy. That's all I want, Julio. That's all I want. And so we get to the bottom of it. Alex just wants to be happy. Please, Netflix. I am. Are you telling me? Oh, I am Ozark happy. Ozark is present I, day. Are you telling me that show elicits joy? <laughs> I mean, that show rules, but in a very primal, like I'm shoving nachos in my face and yelling at the TV way. Uh, it's not... <laughs> Like, I'm trying to think of the last thing I saw that was based in modern times, uh, again, not the Chaplin movie, but something that was based present day where I was just, like, really happy when it was over. I mean, I, there has to be something since then, but fucking, uh, for whatever reason, the first thing that came to mind was Enough Said with James Gandolfini and uh, <laughs> Elaine. And, but yep. I, I don't know. It's... It's just that it's it's the remake thing. It's everything that I always go on and on about these pod when we do these podcasts about remakes or reboots or you know shit like that. There exist things that you can just go and watch, and you know they're gonna give you the same feeling. And 
what that could potentially do is maybe I like this director now. And then I go on to see something else he did the next year. And then it just opens up these horizons. Right, for but you. Okay. But my defense there sort of, you know, would be what I say when we're talking about remakes that, uh, if, if Stranger Things is a gateway for people that have never watched any of the things that it, the Stranger Things references, and because of Stranger Things, they end up delving into that world, then that's great. Very uh, true. My, my I guess, other defense, not that the, <laughs> the Duffer brothers need me to defend them, uh, but I think that the... I agree. To me, the show would be more satisfying if it was saying something about the 80s rather than just be in the 80s i don't think so i could be wrong maybe i maybe i missed it maybe i there is something uh you know maybe there's a reason why it's in the 80s other than oh because you know the 80s uh you know i was thinking maybe plot wise is the kind of story that it's a lot harder to make it work if you have present day technology and present day sensibilities maybe except that it doesn't really seem to be trying to say anything about technology or you know social the social changes. Well, and also, you know, it's not fucking madman. <laughs> real, yeah, real quick to inject into that point too. It, uh, correct me if I'm if I don't get if I'm wrong about this, but it doesn't seem like anything that happens on that show really impacts the socioeconomical or political standings of things going on around the world. Like Watchmen takes place in the '80s. Uh, it starts in like the '60s and then it ends up in the '80s. But it's like consistently impacting the way the world functions politically and economically. I don't... Is yeah, it, no, no, no. You know what I'm talking about? No. Yeah, yeah, no. Hawkins, Indiana, is like in a bubble, basically. But because they, they make it clear throughout the show that they keep all these things secret, you know? Oh, but, okay. So they're basically the NBA right now. They just have a massive bubble around them. <laughs> yeah, well, but, you know, it's like, it's always like a, a government cover-up. They, they find a way to keep it all under wraps. No, no matter what happens, uh, okay. But there is, but I mean, I, I, I think that the Duffer Brothers, it's not that I, I guess I would like to think that it's not that they said, okay, what's the easiest way to have a hit show on Netflix? What which area of nostalgia could be mined right now perfectly? You know, I, I think that, like I said earlier, I, I imagine that they're just guys that are in love with this period, in love with this kind of movies, and they just so. So the point is to celebrate that that era and to celebrate those movies and that that aspect of culture, uh, and you know there has to be room in the world for that kind of stuff. It's uh, uh, for that sort of celebration, and and I shouldn't resent it just because I don't. You know, it doesn't really do it for me. Uh, I don't resent it. It's uh, why well, do <laughs> oh. They're... I mean, I don't, I don't, but I, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I kind of resent it when I'm saying you should be better. You should be doing, uh, you should be going deeper. It's like me wanting Homefront to be about, you know, to make a statement about violence, you know? And, well, Homefront and, and rules. And it's like, no, so, Homefront yeah. is just interested in, you know, being a, a good B action movie. And then, so for me to say, Stranger Things should be saying something about the 80s. And and then the Duffer Brothers would look at me and was like, "But that's not the point. The point is just wasn't the '80s fun? And don't you just want to have fun?" Uh, and I'd be like, "Sure, dude. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I own two fucking arcade one-up machines. That those mini arcade games they make because I wanted, I want to go back to where I was. It's like this show too is like the same thing. I don't fault them at all for making something that's very easy to digest and people will like be filled with this glee watching it. That that's why I don't watch I." 
like aside from the monthly pay-per-views, I do not watch present wrestling because it fucking sucks. But I spend at least 20 hours every week watching old wrestling because it fills me with like, yes, it used to be better. So I don't fault them for that. But this falls into that category of art where it's just like, look, if you're going to ask me how I feel about it, this is how I feel about it. And I want more from it. It's the same shit as like Joker. Like, uh if this is what we're defining as modern drama and psychological thrillers, I'm going to tell you that that's fucking stupid and that y'all have all gotten really lazy for celebrating that. I feel this is a little bit different. I don't want the quote, you know, on the cover of the paper tomorrow to be that Alex compared stranger things to Joker, because I do feel the kids are good. The kids are fine. Um, The kids are all right. As the offspring would have said 20 years ago. Uh, I do like the David Harbour guy. I really enjoyed him on SNL. I honestly, like I said, uh, now that you reminded me of it, I remember him from Revolutionary Road. He's really good in that, and I really enjoy him in this. And um, we'll save Winona to get to her in just a moment here. And mm-hmm. um, who was the the girl that I thought was really impressive? Eleven uh, uh, or Max? Neither. I think they're both uh, really good, but Natalia Dyer. Oh, who played uh, Nancy Wheeler, the me- older sister. I mm-hmm. I found her to be very good and in, in a in a really like natural way. Like it felt like she it felt like she was that character. It didn't feel like someone was telling her how to do that. Which I, that's kind of a weird thing to try to explain to somebody. But it's it's Family Guy. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's people <laughs> striking when the iron's hot of figuring out what is going to be most broadly accepted and celebrated right now. And yeah, I mean, there's really not much more to say about it. It's to me, it's um, it's possible to make things that are rooted in a previous time period and putting a modern spin on it. Or like I said, when I referenced almost famous and Adventureland, just because those are two that we've done on this podcast, if you're going to put it in a time period, make the time period part of the story. Don't make the time period the story. Uh, that's just like Adventureland and Almost Famous, uh, Sandlot, the, these movies that I've referenced already. Uh, Revolutionary Road is another one. Those movies could not have happened at any other time period. This show could have happened at any time period. That's kind of like my coming away from it. And the fact that it did happen in the 80s was just to shoehorn in references and to make people feel comfortable and appease whatever nostalgic senses that they have. But there's nothing wrong with comfort food. I I think that that's uh, unlike even, you know, if we go back to the Avengers episode or the, you know, the Endgame episode, even then I, I could see, I mean, I can see your gripes on both ends but uh constructive I don't think compliments or constru- <laughs> constructive uh what is the pc term constructive concerns not not gripes <laughs> let's make that very clear well i, I just a, a lot of our avengers endgame episode was about the idea that the the marvel cinematic universe it's it's changing or could be changing the industry for the worse. I don't think that Stranger Things is in any danger of doing that, as popular as it is. I think that it's just, you know, it happens to be uh, Netflix's, you know, probably, I don't know if it's its heaviest hitter, but definitely one of the heavy hitters, but they already announced that it's 
over after next season, I think. And uh, and it's not like Netflix has become suddenly, you know, the 80s nostalgia service yeah. or whatever. You know, it's just like, it's its its, its thing. Uh, I honestly, my, my main issue with it, well, it's two things. One is what, what it does well uh, for me is, uh, like I mentioned, the character relationships. I think especially once you get to season two, and those characters have had a chance to breathe and the the connections between each other are, are, have grown stronger. It, it does really cool things with them. Even if there are things that we, we see coming and things that uh, we've seen before, it's still, they feel genuine. The, the relationships between between these these people, like the kids and the adults. And uh, But yes, that's the kind of thing that would happen anywhere not just it, it's not directly tied to the 80s to the aesthetic you know it's like oh the the story of of uh you know jim hopper's relationship with this girl that he ends up adopting and all that stuff you know that's not it's not like oh it could only happen in the 80s so i totally you know it's like what you were saying it's like the 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 setting is not uh vital to the story in that way in in in, in the way that matters because in the end, I, I could see somebody defending, and rightfully so, defending Stranger Things by saying, you guys are missing the point, because what really, what I really connect to is, yes, the, the 80s aesthetic is cool, but what I really connect to is the way that the characters work. And uh, and yeah, my retort would be like, yes, but the characters work, whether you have it set in the 80s or not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but then, what really, I think, my my main criticism, and this is, this is just me... Uh, more taking the Duffer brothers to task for whatever that's worth. Listen up, Duffers. Yes. <laughs> uh, my really, my, my main criticism is, above all, is that in three seasons, I feel like they kind of just, they're just going in circles. And that's fine. For, you know, the people that are like super into the show, they don't care. But since I wasn't as much into the show, I just I kept waiting for it to just move up to the next level. I was like, all right, we've explored this area of the 80s, but there's so much more that we can do. If that's our game, if our game is that we're going to be in the 80s and we're going to explore, explore the 80s tropes and, and just go into the fantastical and the horror and all, you know, all those things, then I was under the impression that every season was going to bring a new sort of avenue for us to explore that. And instead... All three seasons are in this town with a very similar threat and with basically the same cast of characters kind of doing playing the same roles over and over. So uh, I felt like that was a shortcoming that goes beyond the sort of like the mission statement of the show. Because yeah, naming the se- the three seasons, Stranger Things one, two, and three, kind of what you're saying, you're kind of like I don't know it, it, if it was me, if the audience was me and you, it's kind of like you're saying it's a twilight zone thing where each mm-hmm. series or each season is going to tackle some new story. And, uh, fuck, what was that really shitty show on FX that did that where every season was the same cast, but a different story. Um, American horror story. Oh, it's still going. <laughs> okay. That's it. I'm going to move on from that. Uh, <laughs> uh that, but th- even, I think even if they could have done something like that, yeah, but even you know, I I understand you don't want to reboot. You know, the kids are popular. That you have another writer, David Harbour, doing great jobs. So, okay, but but give him something else to do. You know, uh, because if the you know the first season is about an uh, a threat from another dimension, you know, the, then the second season can be about 
uh, I was I was having this talk with Dan and Caleb from Netflix and Swill uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, where I was like, you know, I the way that the signals they were sending in season two, I thought that we're heading towards like a gremlin slash alien sort of thing in season two, but no, it turns out to be just more of the upside down world, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in season three could be, I don't know, you know, like the 80s, you know, you had the Goonies. It could be like a treasure hunt. And, you know, you can just keep that cast of characters and just uh, once you've established that you live in the world of the movies from the 80s, uh, the sort of adventure, fantasy, sci-fi movies, and you can just go wherever you want. Uh, but but instead, they seem to play it safe. And, you know, that might be that it's just not what they're interested in. Or it could be that well, they they don't want to risk losing people uh, that got hooked in season one. Uh, I think certainly a lot of people would say that no, they're happy with the way that the show has turned out. That they wouldn't want to leave what the show has created to go in other avenues. Uh, that's fine. But to me, that feels like a, a a shortcoming. I and and at this point, you know, three seasons in, it's not like I expect season four to break the mold and go somewhere else. I imagine season four is going to be just more of the same and I'll watch it because by now it's like, they got me. They, I like the characters. I want to know what happens. I want to see, you know, I, I, every season they've had like a handful of really emotional scenes that, that I enjoyed. So I'll put up with the plot. I don't really, you know, there was a, a one of the quotes uh, was talking about how the show takes too long to get to that moment where, to, you know, you think that somebody's crazy and then you believe them. And I, I, I feel that a lot in this show. I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that uh, uh, storytelling wise, I think that we've we've kind of moved past certain things. And I feel like the show sometimes uses the excuse that it's honoring the 80s to have characters do really dumb things or do things that don't make much sense. Uh, and I, I yeah, that that bothers me. That doesn't really work for me. But it doesn't work for me, brother. But you know what? It's it almost feels uh, like there's there's so many shows that are not done as well. And, you know, this one actually what it tries to do, it does well. So uh, that's oh, why it it's massively just, succeeds. Like, yeah, it's it's exactly what it wants to be and it's exactly what its audience wants it to be. The only reason I have like this heightened response to it. And like you said too, it's not going to take over and uh, it's not going to alter a whole generation of art the way that the MCU has done. And you know, if you're in favor of that, that's one thing or the other, but this is just this, um, I want to say blip that sounds demeaning to the impact that it's made it's this um it's it's been a happening and and that's it's going to be what it is and it's things are going to kind of be the same when it comes and goes it's it's succeeded in every aspect that it's meant to and the duffer brothers that's fine because this they've made what they want to uh and the audience loves it. The, like I said, the reason I have this heightened reaction to it is because it's one of these things that I watch so far after the fact. I'm like, this this is really what you guys are going fucking nuts about? Uh, but that's that's completely fine. Um, and also, you know, got to ham it up a little bit for the sake of the podcast. But <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's just, it goes back to a lot of what I said. And growing up when, like, all of the big shows were based in present day, and they could be ranging from uh, fantastical, sad, fun, to you know, uh, all across the spectrum. And now it just kind of seems like all we can pull off 
in modern times is really sad and depressing, which in its own right is sad and depressing. And uh, <laughs> I guess that's part of it. Like it, this was just kind of a beat down because I was like just what we were talking about. It's like there's no reason this can't be set in present day other than I assume just no one would give it a chance. But since it's about the 80s and they talk about fucking Pong, then, you know, and uh, is Ronald Reagan on at any point? Do they have like, um, I don't know. Who I mean, he's be? he's not in it. Oh, but, damn it. Uh, I'm sure they might mention it, especially once you get to season three, um, probably. I don't know. It's it. You know, I, I hadn't even like really thought about it. But yeah, maybe, Alex, the reason that it needs to be set in the 80s is because if it's not set in the 80s, it doesn't get made. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think that's all of it. I, I, I really... I would like to think that it's mostly about just the Duffer Brothers being passionate about the 80s, but that's also another thing, right? You're actually right. Maybe if, if you said it in present day, the audience can't buy into it, but you said it in the 80s and it's a lot easier for it to, to gain traction. And that's great. Then, you know, good for them. Uh, yeah. They figured it out. Now, my question to you is, I have two questions. One, would you be more into it if instead of following uh, a bunch of kids and their parents... We were following still same period, you know, it's the eighties, but we're following pro wrestlers. <laughs> it's a true uh, question because it's it's you know, you're passionate about it. So would that be your your in? No, it would have had to have been uh actually made in the eighties, set in present day with eighties pro wrestlers following like some <laughs> You know you know what it is? Like just going back before you get to your second question, um, Okay, to answer your question, if they made that show, I would absolutely watch the pilot, but I don't I don't believe there are any current pro wrestlers that could pull that off. Um, I mean, isn't that, that kind of like Glow? It's kind of like that, I guess. Uh, Glow has like real... Uh, I'm sorry. I assumed you meant like actual wrestlers of today doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, because Glow is like really good actors. Oh, no, no, no. I meant like... Yeah, no, like I meant fucking, I meant the characters uh, are Ray Fines wrestlers. out there is Stone like, Cold Steve Austin hunting down uh, <laughs> yes aliens and shit. <laughs> no, nah, I mean I don't know, but um, they just need to get it over with a remake ready to rumble. But in this in the remake, <laughs> David Arquette would play Jimmy King, and then I don't know who this generation's <laughs> David Arquette would be. Um, what it was, I, I, I lost it, but it had come back to me. When I was watching this, I kept thinking of it in the sense yes. of, like, this is what you fuckers told me was great. This is what y'all told me was, like, the, the next thing when it's really just, uh, to be fair, the kids in this are better than the kids in it. But it's the same <laughs> thing of just, like, okay, I've seen one this of them before. Is, one of them is in both. <laughs> oh, yeah? Which one? Mike. Finn Blowhart is Blowhart. Finn Wolfhart, I think. He's a. Uh, you got the Blowhart. He, he wears part, glasses. Right? <laughs> he wears glasses in it. He's a, the kid with the glasses. Yeah, both the same thing, and just it's so transparent, and easy to see through why it's so successful. But again, it always comes back to I, I'm giving you my opinion because you've asked, and because the people who are listening to this right now are curious what you and I have to say about it. But again, like, f- fuck's sake, I have like a shrine to the Friday the 13th movies. I'm not going to tell people what they should and shouldn't like. But when I watch something like this, to me, it just seems really transparent. And um, I'm left wanting more. But 
there are people that aren't, so that's fine. I, I compared it to Family Guy, and that was a lot just to get a reaction out of you and the listeners. This, <laughs> this is this is much better than Family Guy. This does not offend me on a primal level like Family Guy does. Second question. If this was set in the 90s instead of the 80s, it was the same idea of, oh, we're just going to celebrate 90s culture. Would you be more into it? See, that I don't even know either. It's like... I would just want to watch something from the 90s then. Like, I would just want to watch something authentic. Like, that's that's the whole point of it all. I, I mentioned Drive and feel the way you want to feel about it, but that is like an 80s action movie based in present day. That's fucking um, Homefront. That is a late 80s, early 90s action movie based in present day. There are ways that you can pay respects and homage to the past and still use all the things that work there, but you don't have to base it in that time period. It's, it's, it's baffling to me. And then of course, but like drive and all the things that happened 10 years ago that were using eighties culture with a modern tilt just got completely out of control too. So I don't know. I don't know where you find the common ground. I guess the whole point is you have to be the first to do it. Uh, but <laughs> there you go. But no, if it was based in the 90s, cool, but then I would just be like, mm, and I just want to watch Empire Records or something. <laughs> the classic 90s a, movie where they fight the uh, monster from the alternate dimension. Uh, they're doing a, a TV show. It's not the first time, I guess, but they're, it's a clueless TV show. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be like, paying homage to the 90s or if it's going to be its own thing but anyway uh clueless in present day would be dangerous (laughs) earlier when you know you were saying basically like you couldn't think of what would you make like 10 years from now What's the nostalgia about our time going to be like or 20 years from now, right? And I, I actually, I think I can see it because it's just, it's going to be, in my opinion, it's going to have to do with social media. You know, when you, in the, the year 2050, when you watch a movie that deals with people immersed on social media, stuck to their phones, constantly checking their Twitter and their Facebook and their Instagram and all that stuff. That's going to say to you, oh, yeah, that's the early 2000s. That's like 2000 to 2020, maybe. And then the pandemic happened and our world was changed forever. I would fucking hope that people don't associate with that with the early 2000s. I mean, that's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like 2008, that like, I don't know, Instagram, I think it was like 2010. But the point is like, 2008 shit stopped evolving. Like since then we've had, yeah, phones are new, but like there was already Netflix shit stopped happening. So I don't see how it's possible to be nostalgic about this again, up until that point. Definitely 20, 30 years from now, there will be a movie that is based in 2007. And there are characters that fucking are listening to my chemical romance and have 80 bracelets on and the mascara and like the tattered t-shirts and shit. That's absolutely going to happen. But I'm telling you, I lived it. Shit has stopped evolving. 
Shit has stopped happening. We're basically regressing now to where fashion is what it was in the fucking 50s. It's a matter of time before we get to where fashion is what it was in the 60s. It's 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 stopped. There will be a movie about the pandemic. There will be a movie about Trump's reign of terror and just the way the country completely fell apart. There will be documentary series about how America went from being the, the superpower of the world and fell way, way <laughs> below that. Uh, but I'm telling you, music, nothing. There's nothing that I think will be possible to be nostalgic about this time. And you know what I'll tell you right now is 30 or 40 or 50 years from now, if and when I have kids and there's some movie about social media or some like <laughs> horror movie that's like, oh, man, look at these kids from 2015 or 2020. You know, their phone ate them or some shit. I'm going to be like, you should watch Unfriended. That's what it was really all about. That's when it was real. Oh, my God. I was waiting for it. <laughs> Do you know that's where I was going? I, I If you didn't, I was going to. So. <laughs> Uh, no, it's uh, it's obviously, I don't know. No, I think uh, no, I, I I think in this case we have blind spots. I think that we're past the age where we can predict what's uh, or you know we can accurately gauge what's the pulse of you know what people are gonna be nostalgic about. I think that we're at the age where now we are nostalgic for things and that's it. But I think that the you know teenagers now. 20, 30 years from now, they will be nostalgic for the kind of music that they listen to right now, even if to us it doesn't mean anything. And, and you know, the, the the shows they watch and the games they play, even if, like, some of the shows they watch are, like, heavily dipped in 80s nostalgia or whatever, there is some stuff that they, you know, they Holy might shit, remember. that's going to be the play. The, the nostalgia based on early 2080 nostalgia. Yeah, I mean, well, but also I think that maybe you have you know, in, the year, in the year 2050, you make a show about the year 2020 or 2019 uh, where, you know, part of it is that the characters are obsessed with the past, but part of it also that, you know, all the present day stuff, all the 2019 stuff is just really dark and grim. You know, it is a time. I, I don't think that we are living uh, entertainment wise. I don't think that we're living in, a, in an era that is just going to be easily like forgotten or wallpaper over i think that there's stuff it's just that we're too close to it to really uh i to hope, really see it or even appreciate it i hope i hope when i'm old that we look back and laugh on this era where everything was superhero movies or remakes or reboots i i really do it's um i don't know i guess that's just the thing the fucking um it's that woody allen movie i love midnight in paris that movie addresses mm -hmm. that like Owen Wilson's character in that is a writer or whatever, and he just golden age thinking is the philosophy that's really explained in that movie, and people never really feeling like they belong in their time, and that that could just be a case of it. But right now, it just it really feels like coming up. Uh, obviously, I was too young to be cognizant of things in the eighties, but getting to reflect upon those in the nineties, and then coming up in the nineties, and then the turn of the millennium, and seeing what things that I perceive to be good could be. And again, it's always going to be, it used to be better rose tinted glasses, but it just seems like right now we're just so it, like one boot stuck in the mud. And so the other <laughs> boot that is up and not stuck in the mud looks really good. And so we have to celebrate that boot in the, that's not stuck in the mud. And that just kind of seems like to me right now, it's just, Broad strokes, my friend. Broad brush strokes. But 
I'm not going to fault anyone for liking this. But if they want right. to engage you and I in a conversation, there's obviously a lot that can come from it and a lot of opinions that we have on these things. And again, definitely not demonizing it. It's I've watched a lot of things for this podcast that I would actively demonize. Stranger Things is not one of them. I was just kind of surprised with what I saw. Uh, Maybe if you if you had gone if we had gone into it without the hype, it would have been a different experience. I mean, I know it would I, at least for me. I agree with that one thousand percent. Yeah, uh, and I'll say again, if there's any uh, Stranger Things lovers still listening, I <laughs> I do like a lot of stuff about it. You know, uh, that's not I guess uh, the the rapping. I I really uh, now that we're in real talk, like when Dan mentioned that uh, Steve is a fan favorite, that made me happy because I actually like him. He might be my favorite character in the show. Uh, I really like the arc that they take him in, uh, and and yeah, there's. For all its faults and all the things that don't work for me, it does nail, I would say, 90% of its emotional moments. You know, it builds up to them. And then by the time you get to those final episodes, uh, you know, and we're in real talk. When when Hopper dies, and, and he might not really be dead, I would be surprised, really, if they don't bring uh, David Harbour back. At the very least, some flashbacks, I would imagine. But, you know, it's such a fantasy world. I imagine they can bring him back in season four. But but when he dies in, in you know, at the end of the third season, it's emotional. You feel for him. You feel for Winona. He leaves a letter that gets read in voiceover <laughs> as everybody's back. It's, you know, it's like exactly what you'd expect, but it works. So it, you you require, it, uh, you know, talent to make it work, even though I know exactly, you know, what we're going through. And I know that... The, the dots that you're connecting and everything. And I still, you know, I can still connect to it emotionally. So that's, that's good. Well, you said you liked uh, Natalia Dyer. Is there anything else that you liked in the show? Oh, and you like Hopper too. You like David Harper, but is there anything else that you would, you know, uh, say that, that made it easier to watch? Yeah. I'm, the soundtrack rules. It's just what they're doing is transparent. Like they picked a good lineup of songs. I'm not going to fault them for that. Uh, I mean, getting to the, star of the the summer Winona Ryder is very good she and this and of itself is a nostalgic thing of taking uh an established actor and putting them in as the lead on the show when in actuality they're really a supporting character but their role mm-hmm. is designed to accent what they're really good at and especially at this stage in Winona Ryder's career she's so damn polished and just capable of being vulnerable and uh, god yeah she's she's great and again i just watched three episodes of this and i could tell you winona writer is and the season recaps i saw how like frantic and emotional she would get and blah blah the funny part about all the season recaps is like they're all four minutes long and two minutes of them focus on the premiere of each season which i thought was kind of funny and then it just is like this fucking Pantera smash cut music video to the rest of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Winona and I'm trying to think if there's any. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned off the air the the kid who wears the hat. I, I find him very charming and uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's I, really good. His character is a lot of fun. Matthew Modine, he was the I couldn't remember who that was. He's a dickhead. Uh, and then yeah, seeing I'm always gonna mark out for Paul Reiser. So just seeing him, I was like, fuck yeah. Worth it. He is so good. I I really like him. He's he's 
got a solid role in the second season. And then they wrote him off. He comes back for a little bit in season three, but I was surprised that they just didn't keep him around because he's he's really good. Like for a while, I at least didn't know if he was good or bad. It could have gone either way, uh, which is almost a Paul Reiser trope <laughs> yes. uh, in movies. And uh, and then, you know, the, uh, he turns out being good. It's, it's it, I, I liked him a lot. And yeah, I agree about Winona. I... I can see, like, I don't agree at all with uh, with our friend Paul's take that she is overacting. Uh, I can see how it can feel like that, but to me, it, it didn't. I I bought it. You know, she's. I agree more with what Dan was saying that the show constantly puts her in a position where, well, all she can do is be frantic and just be kind of over the top. But that's because that's. You know, how else are you going to react to your kid going missing or, you know, and then if your kid survives such a traumatic, horrible experience in the first season, well, of course, in the second season, you're going to be worried about him because you're going to be overprotective. And to me, it always it always makes sense uh, how she behaves. And and I think she nails it, especially watching it the second time, because, you know, I told you I rewatched the premieres for this. Uh, I was able to really appreciate what she was doing. And it was... Uh, yeah, I I think she's great. I I am happy that it's, you know, she gets she gets top billing in a successful show doing good work, and you know I I've watched a little bit of like the the red carpet things they do for Stranger Things and you know the award stuff, and it's uh, I'm just glad that she's having a good time, <laughs> which is well deserved. Obviously, she's got a lot of gas left in the tank, but it's at this point already a well deserved victory lap. It's her Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Stranger Things, it's Winona Ryder's Pulp Fiction. <laughs> God bless. So before we move along to the official ceremony of the Winonis, this is pretty much our red carpet event for it. Uh, but uh, before we get along to that, we have a little bit of Winona potpourri to close out this finale episode. We obviously had the deep discussion about Stranger Things. Um and in doing so, also just kind of reflecting on Winona's uh, imprint on television and that being, of course, me being the gigantic Simpsons fan that I am, I had Julio watch uh, the season six episode, Lisa's Rival, uh, where Miss Winona Ryder guest starred as Allison, uh, who was the rival to Lisa. She was as smart, as good at the saxophone, all that good stuff. And Hi, Allison. I'm Lisa Simpson. Oh, it's great to finally meet someone who converses about the normal eight-year-old level. <laughs> Actually, I'm seven. I was just skipped ahead because I was getting bored with the first grade. You're younger than me, too? Are you hyperventilating? No. I just like to smell my lunch. Gee, I never met anyone who skipped a grade before. I'm surprised you haven't been skipped. You're obviously smart enough. Well, I'm sure I could have, but I'd hate to leave behind all my wonderful friends. I'm the brain queen! Julio, if you didn't know it was Winona Ryder voicing it, it may take a second take because she's so good at sounding like a kid. But I generally have that problem with uh, with actors, like well-known actors doing voice work. It's very rare that I actually recognize them unless I know that it's them. Uh, there might be some exceptions. I think I probably would have been able to tell that Steve Carell was doing the, the bad guy voice in Despicable uh, uh, Me, for example. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, in this case, it was... I wouldn't have tell. I wouldn't have been able to tell, but because I knew, I would just close my eyes. And I was like, "Yeah, that is Winona Ryder," <laughs> uh, it, and I can do that with you know. Usually, if you tell me, I can recognize it. It was uh, at fun. I mean, I like The Simpsons. I've said it before. Uh, 
much like South Park, it's one of those shows that I really like, but I haven't watched really much. I've seen their movies and just a handful of episodes. And this was just a reminder that I need to make time to watch more. You absolutely need to use your Disney Plus subscription and go back through the the Simpsons. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you to dislike it. Uh, it was, it, I, nor did I expect it to trigger any intense discussion, but I definitely wanted to include it as um, one of the more quoted lines around my house from Simpsons lore is Allison's dad when Lisa goes over to their house and she can't play the game that they play where they take the... It's basically like an anagram where they uh-huh. take the... They take the name of an actor and then turn that into a word to describe them. And Lisa can't play it, so her dad just like, well, I have a ball, and hands it to her. <laughs> uh, but she tries to play, and she can't do it, and the dad tells her, well, that's very good for a first try. That and uh, the fucking fugitive reference where the cops are after Millhouse. And he's yep. like, I didn't do anything. I don't care. And then he jumps off the dam. <laughs> Winona, I think just showing her uh, star power at the time, because the Simpsons, especially in that time or in that day, as they say, uh, you know, it was a lot about who could help boost a rating or who could, you know, bring in some star power to the show. So I think it really spoke to. Uh, yeah, that's always been uh, kind of. Whenever I hear about uh, a celebrity making sort of a cameo or or having a guest spot in a in an animated show, it always feels like, you know, it's like it, who needs it, right? I mean, obviously, I don't think that the the big actors need the paycheck. And does the show really need the the big actor? I mean, I guess as as a publicity stunt, but it's not like you, need, you know, there's there's so many talented uh, voice actors to begin with, and. It's not like you can actually. I imagine most people are like me. If you didn't tell them that that's that a, a big name actor doing the voice, they wouldn't know. So it yeah, seems like a, the the benefit is just meta. <laughs> yeah, this would have actually been between. It was 1994. The episode Lisa's arrival first aired on September 11th, 1994. This was in between Reality Bites and Little Women. So Winona was at her. It was like Mecca Winona at this point for her to uh, <laughs> be part of that. And then of course the second piece of it just kind of. More of an anomaly, I want to say almost than anything, is uh, we watched a little bit of the Saturday Night Live that she hosted, and it was the only one she's hosted, which was May 18th of 2002, as she was on the promotional trail for Mr. Deeds, which understandably so was kind of her comeback after. Yeah, because that's she actually makes fun of it, uh, or well, makes light of it in uh, in her monologue. It was d- definitely on the, the rehabilitation uh, front of her promotional campaign as Mr. Deeds was her launching pad back into the pop culture zeitgeist. And uh, I've told Julio, well, for me doing the research, the fact that the only time she's done it was insane, but my main uh, memory of it was her impression of Bjork, which is still, I can gladly say, as funny as I remembered it. Bjork, this is the only thing that becomes toast. Everything is music. When I go home, I throw knickers into the oven and it's music. Crash, boom, bang! Wow. The answer, of course, was bread. She has 
that moment, and I think I told you, I don't know if it's part of the of the same episode because they basically have the clips like broken up in the on the website. Uh, and uh, but they, she has a moment where she shows up at the end of a weekend update, and that's kind of funny. The rest of the show, though, I don't know how much of it you you watch or you revisit it, but I, it was not that great. Like I, it's a bunch of sketches that I was like, man, they're doing so much better now, <laughs> which is weird. Because it's a really uh, weird time for them. Yeah, I mean it's a uh, it's the last uh, the last episode of uh, Will Ferrell uh, on SNL because they're talking constantly about how he's leaving, and. Uh, yeah. But they don't really do much that's particularly funny. We're known as on a sketch that's, uh, I guess, the next centerfold for Playboy or for some sort of magazine. And mm-hmm. it's just her, Maya Rudolph, Amy Poehler, someone else. And I guess uh, the, the joke is that they're just pretty trashy. I don't know. It just doesn't <laughs> work. And then, and then she has a sketch where it's like her and Jimmy Fallon are in the jacuzzi. And they get joined by Will Ferrell and... Uh, Rachel Dratch? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was basically they were trying to rehash a skit that was really famous uh, that they did when Drew Barrymore hosted, and it was Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon and uh, Will Ferrell and Rachel Dratch, and yeah, that that whole season of Saturday Night Live is fascinating. I think is the proper word because it uh, was right after nine eleven, and oh wow, what they deemed to be the Winona episode was actually the season finale. The things they were deeming to be funny at that time and also what the country was willing to laugh at kind of fluctuated all over the place so if you go back and watch some of those like i remember like sean william scott hosted that season cameron diaz obviously all the people of the the time in the 2001 2002 era um but the quality of the show ranges so much because it just really felt like we're not sure if we're willing to take full risks with stuff yet that makes sense Wow. Well, we just blew your mind. <laughs> uh, well, Miss Winona, it has been an honor to revisit uh, your filmography and also some of your contributions to the television industry. So, so as part of the the, I guess to keep with the spirit with Summer of Winona on my downtime, I was watching. It, it turns out I don't know if it's. Uh, uh, th- that time of the year or what but th- there was a lot of other Winona uh, movies that were free to stream so I tried to make my way through some of them uh, and I mentioned Lucas and uh, Sex and Death 101 in previous episodes uh, watch Lucas don't watch uh, Sex and Death 101 but I also watched The Iceman which I don't know Alex if you're familiar with that it's uh, uh, Is it about Chuck Liddell? No <laughs> Oh okay General Zod plays a serial killer. Uh, My God. Yes, I know. It's Winona Ryder plays his wife, and she's kind of oblivious to the fact that he's a serial killer. It's it's pretty good. I liked it. Uh, then there's this terrible movie with James Franco called The Letter. And I think it was released either the same year or the year after Homefront. Uh, so it was. it's kind of funny that they had that reunion, and it, it's just... The complete opposite. It's just kind of like this abstract drama. It, it's really bad. Would not recommend. Uh, and then I watched most of the plot against America, which is what she's doing this year or what she did this year. It's uh, six episodes, I think, miniseries. Uh, it's it's funny because it's set in the 40s around World War II, but it's uh, an alternate timeline. But I didn't realize 
that it was an alternate timeline until I was like two see uh two episodes in and i felt really dumb i don't know if uh people that were are more familiar with american history would have picked up more easily and sooner that it's it's set in an alternate reality but uh it's it's basically uh uh kind of like what would have happened if america hadn't gotten involved in world war ii and instead kind of became pals with germany and uh how would the jewish community in america feel about that and she plays uh uh, a Jew, a Jewish woman that gets in with the government via dating a prominent rabbi played by John Turturro. And just in the kind of thing that we've been discussing throughout the summer of Winona, we get uh, a sex scene between Winona Ryder and John Turturro that uh, is just much like uh, her her passionate making out uh, with Sean Astin and Stranger Things, it's just in such stark contrast with other relationships we've seen in the summer of Winona. Uh, it was, I felt necessary to call it out. But yeah, uh, that's really good. So I would say anybody that wants to watch a good show m- made today, uh, The Plot Against America. It's a David Simon show. and Winona writer has a, a pretty good role in it. So that was cool. Well, before we move along to the official Winonies, we have to give our propers. Uh, thank you to the Festive Years for providing our opening and closing tracks, as well as providing some supplemental music during the summer of Winona. Our friend Hans Ruth Gieser, uh, he designed and created our logo. He is also a podcaster, a novelist, an economist. All his talent comes together on his webpage, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also contact him on Twitter at mildemonios or email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com. He has three podcasts, one about economy called Marginal uh, and one about Peruvian current events called Nación Combi. Those are in every podcatcher. Those are in Spanish. He also has a podcast in English called Living in Peru about immigrants to Peru. That's on iVox. And he has a new seasonal logo for us that you'll be seeing hopefully uh on the next episode not the winonis but you know the one that starts our next arc and as has become customary a massive thank you to zoe perez for helping uh cultivate and run our instagram game as well as moving into helping uh rejuvenate our facebook page her work does not go underappreciated she's the one that provides all the fun little uh she's the one that provides all the interactive pages and uh images on our instagram account and has also moved towards uh, providing you with some videos of our recording on our facebook page zoe your work does not go unseen and it does not go unappreciated so we thank you for that that concludes the final installment of the summer of winona and stay tuned for the official award ceremony of the winonies Best summer of 1999